This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 243, The History of Twilight Imperium, 3rd Edition. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm just are sitting you... here waiting on Codex 3, man. That's all I want. I just need, a, I need something. Give me information, you know? But we already know everything about Codex 3. We don't Why know you... when it's what... coming. We don't know when we get to play with it. Right, but we know everything about we it. We know everything about it, including the We horses. know every little piece of it. God, it's, there's um, so many horses. No, hey, Matt, seriously? Yeah. Seriously? No more jokes. No more joke <laughs> stuff about what's in Codex 3. Please stop. Okay. In fact, I just want to say this for the record. I'm tired of there being jokes in this show at all. Okay. We've proven that you all don't like them. Yeah. Yeah. The audience doesn't like it. They actively hate it. Okay. They push back every time we have jokes. Just, you just have to remember, Matt, this show is just, it's sort of like, it's just a public service. Mm -hmm. Okay. That we're doing. And we just need to focus more on just reading components coldly into yes. microphones, right. okay? Mm -hmm. And giving the most, you know, like specific analysis we can without messing up, okay? And if we mess up, we get in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love getting in trouble actually on the show is the reality of it. And I, and I think that's why we keep returning to these things is- You are it, the naughty boy of this show, yeah, it's, okay? I, it turns out I love it and I love uh, making it happen. And even though it, uh, consistently fills my life with not un unceasing anxiety. Somehow, yeah, I was about I to say it. you handle it well. Yeah. Is really the thing <laughs> is you're just so good at handling it that you just have this fantastic attitude about yeah. the, all the all the gruff and really good the, relationship the... with the audience. Hi everyone, yeah. welcome to today's episode. I do love yeah. you. I do love you even if I yell at you on the internet. I mean, we once did an entire bit in an episode where a tear of listener was people I have yelled at. So there's true, something, there's so some many level people. of acceptance. You that. spewed <laughs> so much yelling at so many different people. I mean, it's gotta be a record at this point. <laughs> I mean, how many people do you think in my life I have yelled at? Yeah, like five? Like, yeah, I mean, my brother, uh -huh. I remember I yelled at him real bad one time. Ooh. Got really mad at my brother. Wow. When I was like, but I was like 14 How or 15, older brother do you have you? I remember my older yeah. brother yelling at me. I yelled at my brother once, once, and it haunts me. It haunts me, Matt. Never I yelled again. at my brother one time and was like, this is not good. This is not chill. We need to, we need to just cut this out, you know? <laughs> Meanwhile, you have an army assembled, and you're just like the, you're like the guy from uh, Full Metal Jacket, just like getting in their faces, you know? Just like yelling right at them, yep. spewing right at them. You're yeah. like the Full Metal Jacket guy. You are filth, and I will fix you. <laughs> <laughs> That's my relationship with the audience. I'm sorry, I'm your drill sergeant. Uh, yeah, but hey, drill that sergeant character Matt. was wrong in the end, wasn't he? All right, I guess that's me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true that. So, what are we doing today, Matt? Hey, what this is, is a, this episode? This is a, a, this is a weird episode. We kind of did. We like thought of it on a, on a lark. And then we were like, wait, this could be like a whole series of episodes. Like, this could be like a whole thing we embark on. Not like 
back to back to back, but we want to talk about the history of Twilight Imperium a little bit. And yeah, uh, we put it out there as pre-erato, like, hey, tell us, you know, like, let's let's hear about your stories from the history of TI. And I think we've realized uh, that today's episode could have been like a general sort of just like, let's overview everything. But that quickly, as we were trying to prep, it became like... <laughs> just not involved enough in any one particular thing. And either the episode was going to balloon out to be four hours long or was just going to not actually say anything. So we've, we've narrowed the focus and we're starting Mm -hmm. with twilight Imperium third edition. And the main reason for that is that's the edition Hunter and I have played. So we can kind of quickly easily recap a lot of the history of TI three. And then over time we can, you know, I want to learn more about and hopefully play first and second edition. We've played uh, first edition once, uh, but I would like to play more of it, learn more about it. And then we can like follow this episode up with more historical TI episodes. So that's kind of the goal. This is like a, this is like a place setter of a history of TI. This is the first one that we can easily, you know, present to you. Another way to phrase it might be this is the beginning of a small mini series within the larger series of yeah. Space Cats, Peace Turtles, where we are kind of working our way through the history of Twilight Imperium. Um, I'm sad that I can't announce that we are going to play TI3 in honor of this I episode know. on stream soon. Yeah. Uh, I know it's something we would like to do. I don't know if it will happen at this point. Yeah. Um, because it's all kind of uh, late notice. I'm actually going to be. We're going to be in this next time you hear from us. We're going to be in the same place, right? We're going to be in the same room, which would have been know? a perfect opportunity to play third edition if we had planned for that before today, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so basically the the first point in this episode that you got to keep in mind is that we're dumb and yeah. we didn't really think about what we were saying when we were like, oh, we're going to do an, a history of Twilight Imperium episode. Turns out that would be way too long, right? Um, and also, we have never played Twilight Imperium 2nd Edition. Right. Ever. Right. We've never even touched it. We played TI1. We played a lot of TI3. We played, obviously, you know, we have actually played TI4. A lot of people think that we've never done it. Sure. But, uh, and I mean, we don't anymore, of course. No. We've graduated I into the realm of... that for me. I mean, a lot of our listeners know about this, but we've graduated into the realm of only thinking about Twilight Imperium <laughs> and never playing it <laughs> Which and is just actually, having loud opinions I mean, about it. If you're on our Discord, that I mean, there's actually a handful of players that have ascended to that level. So we are not alone in the just like, yeah. I don't have to play it anymore. I can just mind We're just palace like entire games. sitting on the mountain, you know, <laughs> and we've built... The mind table, you know, and we're playing in there. Yep. And it, it's just me against myself at this right. point. It's just yeah. me against five different versions of myself. The reality is while we're, we don't play TI anymore, we are actually always playing, playing TI. Like it's just a, it's a never ending ongoing game inside of everything our is TI. Yeah. Everything is TI. Breathing is TI. <laughs> eating a bagel is TI. Yeah. Eating pizza is TI. Eating tacos is TI. Mm-hmm. A lot of eating is mostly Twilight Imperium, uh, making thumbnails for YouTube videos, TI. <laughs> um, yeah, editing, just just cutting out, uh, accidentally splashing uh, private messages between Hunter and myself on stream, like editing that. Oh out of yeah, YouTube really? Videos. You want to put? You want to try that in the podcast too, Matt? <laughs> That's not enough that 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 little embarrassment. In, oh wait, I'm you did about it too. Me. I forgot you. That's did what it I'm too. saying. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying We've mine. Done it. I had to do We've yours. You it. got rid of quickly and easily. Mine is a much yeah. nastier piece of thing I had to find. So, anyway, yeah, remember what? Didn't you broadcast me saying like some personal stuff, and it was like sad personal stuff? That's what you yeah, did. I mean, I was messaging you some sad personal stuff, 
and then you just like let everyone on the internet know that like <laughs> and i mean you know what listener if you've been paying attention to my personal life which how dare you you freak leave me alone <laughs> leave me alone like i think you could even imagine what nature of personal stuff it could be that uh, i maybe was messaging matt about sure which you know i'll never never make that mistake again yeah well, that's the Jigu stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Let's get into an episode proper. Let's talk about the history of Twilight Imperium, third edition. Yeah. So uh, to to quickly background first and second edition, which we will actually not hardly touch on, but uh, the wildest thing to me is to realize how quickly uh, basically the first three versions of this game came out and then like the long gap from third to fourth. So first edition was 97 with like an expansion like three three expansions that all came out like within the next year and a half or so. Yeah, it was like an expansion every two weeks. Yeah, for like, basically. For like eight weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, like two years later uh, in the year 2000, you know, after they finished their final expansion for first edition, second edition's already coming out. Uh, and that gets an expansion in short a, a short amount of time and yeah. then by 2005 now here we are third edition so within edition, eight years one. we've seen three editions of twilight imperium and we before we before we get into the episode proper because we have played the first edition of twilight imperium and can we just talk about how much that game sucks well okay. boy that game sucked for me because of a lot of extraneous. Of, I had a, I had like essentially a brand new baby when we decided Yo. to do that stream, which was a horrible idea. So I need to play it again because my brain baby, was yeah, not idea. in that game at all. I do not remember right. playing that game. I remember the nightmare uh, okay. of streaming that game, but I don't remember the mechanics of that game at all. Yeah, yeah. Matt doesn't remember it. Um, I do remember it, uh, and the simultaneous. So it has simultaneous turns, uh, kind of. Everybody just moves. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I don't. I don't like that. Yeah. Um, that sucks. Yeah. Uh, and the command counter system, which was introduced in Twilight Imperium Third Edition, is so central to what makes the game for us. Yeah. That I guarantee you, Ti Twilight Imperium Second Edition and Twilight Imperium First Edition on this podcast, you will probably not hear me say that many good things about it. Right. Now, was it interesting to see? A little bit. Right. I'll grant you that it was a little bit interesting to see like all of these components that I know so well from the newest version of the game yeah. are just sitting there in the old version almost exactly the way they were. I, when I say that, I mean like planets mm -hmm. and the factions, you know, uh, their abilities are quite different, um, yeah. but they're in the same spirit, the same flavor. That's That flavor has been preserved all the way back from uh, the beginning. And what's interesting to me, the the really obvious thing is in Twilight Imperium First Edition, you have the original six yep. factions, which is uh, uh Sardak, Nor, uh, L1Z1X. Wait, well, no, sorry, not well. L1Z1X. Barony of Letnev, Akan, and Jolnar. And Sol. And Sol. That's six. Uh, and then they add, in the first expansion, they add the Mentak Coalition and the Asaral Tribes. Yep. And then in like the last expansion, they add the L1Z1X and the uh, Na'alu <laughs> Collective. Right. I've been playing this game my whole life. Right. Um, so that's why I pronounce everything correctly. Um, TI2, uh, they barely even tried with that one, as far as we can tell. Uh, <laughs> TI2 is hilarious because it's like a full rebalance. It's like making the game better, but also throwing out a lot of the the like extra stuff they had developed yeah so all four of those factions get thrown out the window they return to six they bring two of them back but they don't bring 
the last the number nine and ten nalu and an l1 don't get a proper yeah revival that one's that one x and naalu doesn't they they are uh, you were saying they're in like some flavor I believe, like, yeah, there's, I think there's, there's some like flavor text stuff, like, the artists. L1 gets mentioned somewhere in some, like, flavor text. They, their, their presence is felt. Yeah. So, the reason I drag us through all of that real quick, even though we're not going to talk about Twilight Imperium 1st Edition or 2nd Edition today, mm. uh, the most important thing, I think, to know off the top is that Twilight Imperium 3rd Edition is where we unite all ten of those factions right. for the first time in the base game. Right. Of Twilight Imperium. So there's no TI faction that was introduced afresh in the third edition. Right. So there's a lack of creativity there. We can kind of <laughs> knock at some point. <laughs> kind of just stealing from the old editions at this point. Yeah. Well, so, and, I mean, and in that way, yeah, kind of boring. Kind of boring. Uh, the, the idea of third edition too. So like first and second edition are very much just this sort of like evolution of American war games. We talk a lot about how much uh, early... Uh, TI in general feels like Axis and Allies and first and second mm -hmm. edition you really really feel that I mean they just feel like space Axis and Allies for me I'm sure there's many other war way. games yeah. you could reference uh, that I don't have experience with but like it very much feels like an evolution of Axis and Allies and then third edition comes on the back of then sort of the German market kind of taking over the world and like embedding itself into America and and just CTP Kristen uh, Peterson even like notes this in some designer notes, but like the idea that uh, German design was like really showing how impressive it was and how much better it could make games. And so third edition is essentially like, hey, how about we Germanize Euro, you know, add, add some Euro spin to this like strictly kind of American war game style of yeah. thing. Uh, and that's, yeah. that's sort of the beauty of TI3. Yeah, I feel like you see that most obviously in the kind of Puerto, Puerto Rico style strategy card type mm -hmm. stuff. Um, if you never played Puerto Rico, you don't really need to play it, in my opinion. But sure. it does have a, a kind of similar yeah. uh, functionality to the strategy cards of Twilight Imperium. Albeit with a less, I would say they're mm, maybe like less rigid. Yeah. Um, in TI, it's like, I feel like each strategy card being taken is like so important to the shape of a round. Right. Um, and if one is left out, then that's like, there'll be like a huge thing. Like, oh, like, this one didn't get picked. Whoa. Yeah. Well, you know? I think the biggest difference is Puerto Rico can take like 45 minutes to play. And the decisions of a strategy card impacts the next maybe like two hours of your life in TI. So yeah, it's just in, in there's so many things in Twilight Imperium that are bigger just because of the scale of the time that you are deciding to do things. Like it's, it is so much uh, more of an investment to choose to do any given action basically. Yeah. Yeah, it's the big, the bigness yeah. adds the stakes, which I feel like is something that we, you know, should, should have a phrase maybe we should have coined a long time ago that I feel like is uh, very important to Twilight Imperium. Right. Yeah. And, and first and second edition, if anything, too, you could argue had like an even bigger bigness because of like the structure of rounds and stuff. And one of the things that he was trying to scale back in TI3 is that, like, I forget what it's worded like in the thing, but we, but it, it talks about the, like, how, the, the problem of turtling in older editions and the, like, setting up nature and, like, what is it, like, the, the person who acts first, like, is just the, the, like, deciding factor in those games. And so the, the command tokens is the other major introduction, major design introduction, which sort yeah. of takes the idea of like normal old war games. It's like your faction would do all of your stuff at once, which meant like you did these big, broad, sweeping, gigantic actions that like 
felt way too huge and it parsed that down into single activations one at a time this is you know the, the little triangles that we use the command tokens this is the first time they're introduced in this series uh and it makes the sweeping arcs of the like the warfare happen over the course of a round that's like the main new style thing and the idea that the strategy cards are an action within that means that the major phases, which is what the strategy cards are replacing, right? Like tech was just a phase at one point. We are all doing yeah. our tech phase. Now we do this tech thing, and that tech thing can happen in between other actions that are taking place. And it like compartmentalized everything in the game into these smaller strokes so that then the rounds feel very, very big. But each turn, you're doing just one smaller individual action. Yeah, getting... getting less phases in the game i think is a huge improvement because one thing that i think is really hard about when we were playing ti1 is just understanding that i'm going to do this and then this and yeah. then this and right. having a plan through all of these different phases whereas you know in twilight imperium the way that we play it now uh you have a lot more say in what order you accomplish your various goals for the round right whereas it feels like maybe a little over designed in twilight imperium first edition where the designer is sort of saying like well here's the order that you need to be thinking mm -hmm. about everything and it's like well maybe you don't need to think for me right that much right. you know and ti3 is our first uh our first taste of this kind of like backing off kind of moment let the players decide when right. the phases happen right. you know yeah and 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 it also adds a reactivity to the whole game that i think is the biggest like dramatic improvement the idea that like a thing can happen and i was planning to do tech but oh my gosh now all of my plans have changed because of that one little moment that happened and it makes the whole game like more involved uh there's a lot of stuff in the ti3 design notes about like trying to maintain uh, player interactivity throughout all the thing, you know, like I want players yeah. to always have something to do and just the idea that you need to pay attention to what every action is because it might change your upcoming actions is like a big part of that. Yeah, the fact that all the timings are just kind of up to these players means that they have a natural reason to talk with each other. Mm -hmm. Whereas like TI1 feels a little more like the superior economy yeah. and the superior plastic, I feel like should win unless we strategically kind of over invest in one thing or another. Right. You know what I mean? Like a, a the, the challenge is more about properly investing our resources. Yes. Um, in such a way as to where we're going to outpace the other player. Right. Um, whereas TI three, it feels like it's a lot more modular as far right. as like what I can invest in, what will help me. Um, I feel like this is, this is speaking from a lack of experience. So this is, you got to just take this with a grain of salt. I feel like in TI1, you probably would not run into the situation that is now very common and now very fun in Twilight Imperium, which is the idea of a player that has essentially lost the war, mm -hmm. but is winning the game. You know what I mean? Right, like, right. <laughs> you have no, very few planets, very little plastic left, but yeah. the game is won for you right. as long as these last couple things fall into place. And to me, that's just an important possible outcome yes like for sure it's right. one of the most important outcomes right um, yeah i mean the the we didn't i didn't write this down beforehand but you're making me think of the the objectives structure is a new thing in third edition two that also reinforces that the the win condition of first and second is exactly what you're describing it was a yeah. progression chart and you would not win the game if you could not by the end of the game have 
way more stuff than everybody like you had to have like 20 planets 12 tech or like whatever like you had to do this very set in stone progression path whereas objectives when they added them in third edition the public objectives and secret objectives it's like here's little goals that you're doing within each round it is not a like imagine if the objectives in in third and fourth edition were spend five trade goods then spend 10 trade goods then spend 20 trade goods like that's the idea of what a game flow had to be in first and second edition edition and yeah the change of objectives uh made it to where you can do what hunter's describing this like no 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 i'm hanging on by the hair of my chinny chin chin and just barely crossing the finish line and that is just such a more satisfying like condition to to fulfill than like yeah i steamrolled everybody and then by the end of the game i had significantly more stuff and we could all see the right i mean i feel like most games of ti1 and 2 would end with like the writing on the wall like two hours before the game is even over that's how axis and allies definitely felt was like, ah, uh, we can see that this game is actually over. We might as well just seed and be done. Yeah. I think um like like just to just to give you some specifics on the differences here, we had twelve phases in Oof. first edition. Has wow. twelve separate phases. One of those phases is for movement. Mm-hmm. So what we're saying is there's a point where it's like it's time for all the players to move. Now they don't move when we say simultaneous turns, we don't mean like they are actually all moving their pieces at once. That's like legitimately chaos. Yeah. This is like, it's time for all the movement to happen. Right. And then you have to do that. Now there's like an order determined, which is not important for you to know at this point, but it's just kind of, it's kind of this ridiculous handholding yes. that I feel like had happened in, in Twilight Imperium three. And the fact that especially technology being, locked into the win condition right was i felt very bizarre right um and now it's like you know we have games where where a bunch of tech objectives will come out and it'll just be like this one's all about tech but imagine a game where it's just kind of all about everything all of the time and that's why i mean like this is sort of about investing all of your resources wisely and being the biggest of the big right and now, thanks to TI3, which we're going to talk about in base game, how this was not quite true. Yeah. We were not quite there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this potential for each game to have its own flavor of what we're going to be pursuing. What is the most important, uh, you know, sort of ob- objective to chase after? Yeah. Of all the economies of the game, which is the one I need to be winning the most in? Yeah. Yeah, and that modularity was something he all like the 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 map tiles being like this hexagon map that would change every game. That's always been present in TI, but the objectives being like they can be different every game added this layer of like replayability, which I feel like was like a huge keyword in the like yeah. earlier 2000s with video games and everything. All gaming was like, well, how replayable is it? And that is a critical component. Uh, and to add to that replayability, there also were uh, optional rules in ti3 which uh you'll note we don't really have any more in ti4 at least not to nearly the degree we had in third edition but uh third edition had distant suns which is like exploration now uh and it also had leaders which are do not function in any way shape or form the way we have leaders now but uh, i should note that those two things were in base game ti3 but were things that were introduced in previous expansions. Uh, there was a one of the TI-1 expansions is called Distant Suns, and that is the exploration mechanic being introduced into the game. And Leaders was also introduced later to the game, but now they're being baked into first edition. Uh, there, there's also smaller scale uh, 
optional rules uh which are like oh this is the first time we had playing to 14 points introduced you know you could a standard game was 10 a long game was 14 there was also a thing called age of empire which is actually one of my things I miss the most from third edition, which was this different way of playing where all the objectives were revealed from the beginning of the game. Uh, you could only score stage twos like after a certain round, but basically like you could plan out your whole game a lot better. And that was that was like good and bad, obviously. Like there, there was more room for like analysis paralysis, but also you could have like a four hour game quite easily because just like people could really plan out an entire sort of scope of the game and just knock it mm-hmm. out. So there, there were advantages. Uh, there was also an... <laughs> There was an optional rule called sabotage runs. And when we were prepping this hunter, you said, what the heck is a sabotage run? Which is a very apt question. <laughs> well, I couldn't, I, I dang dog could not remember what a sabotage run yeah. was. Even though once you explained it, I was like, oh yeah, I do remember that was yeah. in the game. But I don't remember it because we used it. Yeah. I remembered it because we never used exactly. it. Exactly. Because horrible- why would you... Go ahead and describe it. It's, it's ridiculous. A horrible rule. It's so bad. Where basically uh, you can, before combat, you th- this is just them wanting to do uh, the end of Star Wars, blowing up the Death Star, right? Yeah. So you sure, can assign sure. fighters to kill a war son pre- pre-combat. It's after anti-fighter barrage, but before you roll for combat. The idea being, oh, I could kill this war son before it actually gets to roll any dice. But mm-hmm. you have to dedicate fighters to it with the idea that they will die at the end of the step like they will not be in the combat if you dedicate them to a sabotage run and then you roll a die for every fighter on a nine or a ten they breach the outer defenses and then for all of the fighters that survive the outer defenses you roll a die and on a result of an unmodified ten you can blow up the war sun no 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 sustained damage nothing you just kill it but think about the odds there for every fighter you have a one in five chance into a one in 10 chance. I'm not going to, I don't know the exact math, but what I do know is the math of just doing the combat and letting the war sun maybe get hit. You would be able to soak as many hits on your fighters as it took you to successfully do a sabotage run. That's how like the odds don't make any sense. Uh, and you, you have more chances of the war sun to miss than you do having, you know, the, the idea that a single fighter is going to make it through all of this sabotage run. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's not it it there's just there's no point in something being in the game that where the odds are like I get okay. I get why it's in the game. Sure. I'll say that. But like if anybody actually saw this ever happen, it was really fun and I'm sure everyone was screaming and yeah. jumping in the air. But what did you say 1 in 50? Like the odds of it, like like it's really bad. It's odds. really bad. I yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know how to odds. do math, but a, a one in five into a one in ten. I guess that's like a one in fifty, right? Probably it probably accounts to be like more specific. That's than that, probably but, not it. Yeah. yeah, it's probably not one in fifty because that seems like that seems like maybe a. a it's definitely too. worse than a one in ten, which you could just bring. If you have ten fighters, you might as well just fight it out because you'll probably score enough hits with those fighters to kill the war sun. Is the point? It is certain. Well, it's, it's definitely worse than a one in ten. I got a question. When does the sabotage run occur? Is it like before space combat? That's, that was the thing. That's what, yeah, I, I yeah. said that. It's after anti-fighter barrage. Oh, okay. And then before space combat. So you do, it's that you get to pre- maybe prevent the war sun from getting any hits. But again, if you're bringing enough fighters to statistically do a sabotage run, you have enough fighters to just soak the hits of the war sun and then deal yeah. hits with like your dreadnoughts and stuff. Yeah, ridiculous, ridiculous, ridiculous. <laughs> um, I don't really I don't care I don't I just don't care about stuff yeah. like that well and this is this is the relationship up. that formed with optional rules for me is like there are some optional rules that are just so bad 
that like I'm neither including them nor not including them. Like I'm not, I, I'm just, they're just not a thing I'm ever going to do. And that's going to happen more in the expansions of just like, there's stuff that you're just never going to use, even if you technically have said, we're using this optional rule. And that that's where like this idea of optional rules really started to like rub me the wrong way. Listen, Twilight Imperium is already a joke when it comes to play testing. <laughs> I mean, like really, yeah. How is. do you play test Twilight Imperium? Right. It's not, it's not play testable, especially okay? at the this game, time. That's why it's so great where it is now. Yeah. If anybody ever complains, like, "Oh, it feels like Twilight Imperium is never really like done," because Dane will release new rules reference stuff, or yeah. like there's codex and stuff, and it's like, yeah. That's an improvement, bro. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're now finally where this game should be, yeah. which is an admittance that it will never be finished. Yes. You know what right. I mean? Like, how could this game ever be finished? <laughs> it's too many moving pieces. Yeah. What was it? Just the other day, somebody asked me a question. It was about the Grav Rift. Yeah. There was an Ion Storm. To Sorry, but let's pop out a TI4 for just a second. I just wanted, this is illustrative. Yeah. Okay. There was a tournament game being played. Somebody was, there was an Ion Storm token in the Grav Rift, and somebody was trying to move through that Ion Storm token, Yep. but they were in a Grav Rift. They only had one ship. The ship died in the Grav Rift, and this was the question that drove me nuts. Yep. They said, and not that this is hugely important, it could have been, we were the, in the late game of this tournament yep. game, they were like, do we have to flip the token? <laughs> <laughs> And the and the answer was I don't we don't know it's and, never happened before. Yep. And I asked the brain trust, and I got a no, and then a yes, and then a no, and then some discussion. And that's the worst. Yeah. Okay. Because that just means we we didn't know we didn't know yeah. we didn't have something already to right. reference why that would happen. And then Matt, I remember you you called this out. This is probably going to have to, we're going to have to have a discussion about this because you were like, oh, okay, so Benediction, I guess, doesn't flip the token. Right. Which blew my mind. Right. But sort of by the wording by right the wording now, sounds like Benediction would not with move this the game. token. And, and there are people out there that like wish the game was a bit more regimented so that like these timing structures could be much easier to dissect. Uh, a, I think you're wrong. I, I actually just think that that is, is an impossible task and you would fundamentally change Twilight Imperium to do that. But mm -hmm. B, to a certain extent, that's what we had before in first right. and second edition. And that was a worse game. So the openness of this command counter strategy card, these crazy timings, the reactivity of TI is integral to its design philosophy from third edition onward. And yeah, that makes really messy rules stuff happen. But yep. that is the cost of the reactivity that makes this game so good. And that's like what third edition defined and especially because uh we haven't talked about this but the third edition rule book is a nightmare and a half this is before rule books in like board gaming got like more standardized and like what is good and the idea of yeah. a rules reference there are some rules references you know like magic the gathering was like doing this stuff but not all board games it, the, the the rule book of TI3 is just like essentially the learn to play and then you would have to like cross check anything that happened yeah. and sometimes rules were not in the place you thought they were going to be and it was like very hard to determine there are things nowadays that people still bring up when we're like if TI3 gets brought up people will mention a rule and I will be like 
I did. I've never played that way ever. I never knew that that was a rule because there's no like functional way for you to have like yeah. definitely known every single rule in TI three. They're all Yo. over the place. <laughs> and this is why TI three ultimately. I mean, this, this is why Twilight Imperium has never been better than it is now. Yes. Okay, regardless of what anybody's gonna say, this is the best it's ever been. Because how could you have made an esport? Which is, you know, obviously the whole point of Space Cats Peace Turtles is to prove that this is an eSport. Of course, we know that it isn't, really. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. That it's kind of a trick. Um, and that if this, if Twilight Imperium ever is an eSport, it's going to be like wrestling in that it's going to be all rigged. <laughs> and we're just going to use it as a way to make money for ourselves uh -huh. and for people that are supposedly, I, I'm using air quotes right now really good yeah. at the game yeah you get yeah. that right like it's all just a big scam right but we don't have to tell the outside world that yeah. okay and if you're hearing me right now you are in on the scam yeah. we are Humble all doing checkmate this is just the undertaker it's that simple yeah i don't know how yeah. i don't it's, know how much easier i can explain it to oh you oh my god you you are kind of right <laughs> yeah, I, I do feel like if we want to go through kind of a wrestling thing <laughs> oh my god you're so right you're so right yeah. wow so um, <laughs> move it moving forward uh there were some other, I would say, major problems with third edition base game. And we, we should outline those third edition problems because they sort of define what comes later in the expansions, right? So we've already said, like, the rules are, are actually sort of trash. And this is the beginning of uh, the online component really starting to be able to dominate uh, how this stuff gets handled. Like, board game geek rules questions are becoming a bigger and bigger deal. In the first and second edition rule books, there's, like, a thing where it's like, if you have rules questions, submit a yes or no question to this address, and we'll mail you back. Like, there, <laughs> if people aren't old enough, this is how things used to get done. If you wanted to know if the ion storm flips after a gravity rift get fails you would have to mail in that question and get your answer weeks later that's how yeah. rules questions were once done so everyone who's oh. like mad that not every single rule is settled right now you can literally just stuff it <laughs> yeah yeah just stuff it just <laughs> just get over yourself yeah I, I like i like the idea of this episode having a very sassy tone yeah okay incredibly that's what i want right now that's my whole vibe uh so so the other problems uh were the public objectives were were awesome as a mechanical introduction, but what got proved over time was the actual ten stage one public objectives and stage uh, stage two public objectives were too passive. It was like as if everything was like a spend objective. Basically, yeah. there was there was very nothing boring. actually pushing us to like incite conflict with each other. The game was very easy to turtle, and the turtling was reinforced because the strategy cards were also a complete uh mess i would say there were really good ideas in there but hunter can you explain the relationship of the number one initiative strategy card and the number eight oh yeah imperial oh yeah strategy card okay yeah but before i explain this i just want to mention that we did for a time only have ti3 yes. base game yeah. even though we had started playing shortly after the second expansion had right. been released there was a little period there where, you know, we didn't know that, that this game was going to be... Oh, my God. I just remembered there was a time where Twilight Imperium did not run my life. And that's kind <laughs> of... That's amazing. Um, but, uh, th yeah, this was well before that. We had no idea that this was going to be, like, the biggest thing in the world to us. Yep. So, we were playing this game. And the way it worked at the time was the number one strategy card was called Initiative. And if you take it, you get the speaker token. Yep. You just get it. Okay. Uh, you also get to do the secondary of every single other strategy card without spending any command counters. Yep. So it's worth 
like was, five command counters yeah. and you get the speaker toe it, like it's ridiculous yeah it's ridiculously good the big thing with it is you it says on it you may not take it twice in a row uh which yeah. i'll note is another failing of ti third edition is a lot of these things that you had to remember like in the status phase if you did this then you can no longer like that conditional stuff happened all the time yeah. and it was very easy to forget i mean again it would be like two hours in between when things happened it's sorry if you forgot that like a board state was this way at one point but yeah, you, yeah. you're not allowed to take initiative twice in a row yeah which is uh i mean i guess it's like it's a lot better now of just like if you have the speaker token you can't give it to yourself again right um that's a little like i mean because the board state is right there telling you that but yeah so you take initiative you get the speaker token right away and then the other problem is the eight strategy card the imperial strategy card at this time worked uh, i don't i want to read it exactly i want to completely nail it so okay so it's called imperial claim is the primary ability draw the top card from the objective deck and place it face up in the common play area so there's a new objective out that's pretty cool this next part's not cool then receive two victory points what period absent of any condition not that's no mechatol points just, you just two points two, how did they mess this up this One is like fifth. the biggest failing of I would say any individual decision that I've seen in any edition of Twilight Imperium. I just yeah. talked a lot of smack on Twilight Imperium first edition. Yeah. But there is nothing in Twilight Imperium first edition that is as ridiculous right. as just get two victory points for no particular right. reason. What's hilarious to me is so everybody hated this. So to go one step further too to sort of like spell it out for you, the idea then was always speaker has to take imperial there's no yeah. there's like there's no other oh logical God, yeah. solution it's so, you, you have <laughs> yeah, to take yeah, yeah. imperial and the second person in order has to take initiative so yes. that next round you can take imperial so the only in a six player game only four people are actually picking strategy cards and two of the strategy cards are picked every single time and yeah. uh not too long after uh first edition or I mean, uh, base game came out again. We're about to get into Shattered Empire, uh, but Sh Shattered Empire came out a year later. But before Shattered Empire even came out, they released an online, basically the first codex. I'm using air quotes, but it is a game options and variants. And there's a whole long, like, paragraph, not even paragraph. There's a whole page of basically Christian T. Peterson talking about Imperial and how he thinks it's a good idea. and But realizing that nobody else liked it. Like, basically, there was a huge backlash to this Imperial strategy card, and uh, he had to fix it even though he didn't want to. His whole thing is he didn't want the strategy cards to be created equal. He wanted some of them to be better than others. So Sure, but, but it's, like, to a ridiculous degree. So there's three options he gives you. Uh... One, one of them isn't related at all, but it is actually the introduction of the idea that you have to control your home system to claim any victory points, period. You cannot get any victory points without control of your home system. That was not baked in to base game, but, but gets introduced later. Uh, then there was the idea of, okay, well, I'll nerf Imperial a little bit. And instead of worth two victory points, it's going to be worth one. That's like a minor change. But then the real change that then the community adopted was this thing that at the time they were calling the Ancient Throne. And it introduces uh, a new Imperial Strategy card ability, which is choose either A or B. Uh, I, I won't go too in depth. The B is that you get to do the secondary and nobody else does. And the secondary of Imperial at this time was what the secondary yeah. of Warfare is now to build right. without activating. That used to be attached to Imperial. And you could have the option to, instead of doing the primary, 
you just be the only person who gets to build for free. You're, you're the only one who builds in an unactivated yeah, space no, dock. Yeah, nobody else gets to do it, just you. Yeah, just which you. is pretty cool, honestly. I would love to see like a return of that in some way. But anyways, the thing is you would never do that because the A was way better. The A is if you control Mechatolrex, gain one victory point. Sounds familiar. Uh, also, regardless of your control of Mechatol, during the upcoming status phase, you may qualify for any number of public objective cards, but must still meet the individually stated requirements of each card. So this is like a precursor to what we see in Imperial now, right? Now it's like, okay, you get to score one extra objective during the round. That's kind of how you increase your tempo. This is the change of tempo in third edition. In third edition, everything was tempo because you are getting two points someone is getting two points every round and right. then we're all getting one public and one secret objective maybe uh, also at this time you only had one secret objective for the entire game and it was worth two points but we won't that that's less of an important thing to talk also about. keep in mind i want to go ahead and relitigate this yeah because it is funny seeing this like like christian t peterson writing like a whole page justifying yeah uh this imperial in we all know this now maybe people just didn't know this at this point because remember like this game has gone there are these two bozos that started a community around it. They're idiots and we hate them, yeah. but they did that. All right. Sorry. We ruined the game. Sorry. We ruined it for everybody. Sorry. Shut up and sit down. It doesn't like the game anymore because we ruined it. Sorry. Okay. But back in the day, I think what CTP did not understand is that if this game is played at a competitive level and you get two victory points for having yeah. the Imperial strategy card, Guess what? In a six-player game, there's probably going to be two people that don't even get to have it. Right. That never, ever get to touch right. it. And that's determined that by the role at the start of the game for speaker order. At the start order. of this 10-hour game, it was decided <laughs> that four or five of these players are going to get two extra points for no reason. Yeah. Just because. Right. Just because whatever. <laughs> who cares? And some players are going to get cheated out of two whole points. Can yeah. you imagine that? Yeah. How are you going to win this game? Right. If there's two points you just have no access to and everybody gets it just for doing nothing. Ridiculous. Just for doing nothing at all. Yeah. Ridiculous. It was disgusting. CTP, you were wrong. <laughs> okay? You were wrong. Man, but this is this is one of those wonderful examples. And we, we experienced this uh, when we talked about Dune a lot. This idea that sometimes designers don't care about their game balance, even in the slightest. They just like the thematics of their game and like that get over it basically well, yeah to be fair i think he didn't he didn't realize it was an esport yet and yeah. i mean it's not an esport <laughs> yet wink right. wink uh so let's okay so the game needs to be fixed let's talk about two expansions but first let's take a little break and then we will we will dig into shattered empire and shards of the throne okay it's time to expand this beast uh and shattered empire is our first expansion and it comes out within a within like a year maybe a little bit over like i, I think it was like a year and a couple months maybe i don't know mm -hmm. it was 2006 mm -hmm. base game was 2005 uh so first things first we gotta fix the board game and really yeah. three fixes were introduced in shattered empire and uh they're all optional rules uh Sh shattered empire is just a big box full of optional rules which really is how all expansions used to be for board games like basically the idea of a holistic expansion i think is a, a relatively new thing and there was even pushback when dane did it with prophecy at kings there's people that don't like that shut up and sit down didn't like that it was holistic and and you know whatever we can debate that till the end of time but shattered empire is very explicitly a bunch of optional stuff that you can play with and the first is 
just what's called Imperial 2, and it is that ability. It's the exact yeah. same text of the variant they had introduced online. It's the that's same very thing. Codex-y, that's right? very like, codexy. That's very codexy. That's literally codex-y. what happened with diplomacy, right? We had Omega right. diplomacy, and then in POK, we were given the Omega diplomacy. It's the same mm-hmm. story. This stuff, it's a tale as old as time with how, how uh, FFG handles these uh, rules updates. But you could also play with a different idea. Oh, the the big thing with Imperial 2 as well, I believe, was that you had to play with Age of Empire in the way that they decided to uh set it up. So so now with the new with new Imperial, you are required to play with Age of Empire all the Facebook uh, objectives face up, which was like some people don't like Age of Empire. So what they also did in Shattered Empire is introduce Eight completely new strategy cards, which honestly wouldn't mind if that happened for TI four. That's that, oh? that's dispu- that, that could be disputed, but uh-huh? I I think about new uh-huh? strategy cards all the time. But regardless, they re some of them are like the same ideas, but slightly like reformed. Uh, there was a whole thing with like trying to figure out how to properly do the agenda uh, phase. There wasn't an agenda phase. Ag- agendas were just attached to the politics card. Yeah. And it didn't work so good. It was okay in base game, but it was like hard to incentivize people to take it. So uh, in this variant strategy card, this is where we see uh, the speaker token become attached to the number three strategy card, which in this one is called assembly. But like assembly is the modern politics that you all know yeah. and love, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but at this time too, you were also like, you had a hand of political, uh, of agenda cards at that time called political cards. Anyways, they basically reformed like all of the conditions of the, uh, eight strategy cards and including dr- drastically changed the number eight, uh, bureaucracy. A lot of the other things are just like slightly changing the values of things. Like at, at one point leadership was a command counter for every two influence you spend. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. Command counters were so cheap in, 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 in TI three. Yeah. Uh, huge mistake. They should not be that cheap ever. <laughs> in fact, they should be more expensive than they are now. You know what? <laughs> Tired of those late game stall sessions. Yeah. Boring. The warfare card was hilarious. Warfare yes. two, uh, you get this thing called uh, I want to call out uh, Russian inf, yeah, uh, infantry influence. I don't know. Um, put in our pre errata. Um, hey, name that token, and then they put <laughs> a picture of the high alert token, yep. which was this goofy little token that you get to place when you do the primary of warfare two. And it gives the ships in the system with that token plus one movement and plus one on all combat rolls. And when you move ships from the system with the higher alert token, you move the token with it. Kind of cool. Yeah. Kind of stupid. Right. Kind of love it. Yeah, I kind of love it. There was this issue in TI3 too where they could never figure out how to make the warfare secondary good. It, w- it was always this thing where like, oh, you can like place two ships or like you can, no, it wasn't even place. It was like you can move two ships if you want You can to. move them. Yeah, you can just move some but ships. But it was just like never know. a practical purpose, especially, think about how we think of replenishing your commodities now where it's like, well, I'm not going to spend the token. It's not, it's not yeah. worth a whole token to do that. That's how Warfare 2 and Warfare 1 felt. It's like, well, it's not worth a whole token for me to, like, move a cruiser and a destroyer, basically. Yeah. Uh, in, in, it's funny. In Trade 2, like, well, because the trade system was completely different, which I don't even know if we want to get into that. No. There's not even a secondary for trade at this right. point. Because, right. I mean, what I don't even know what it would be. Because you just get your trade agreements and you give them out to whoever. Right. And that's This is it. really... TI3 is where we really coined the thing of the idea of a trade czar. Because when trade popped, like everything all power was in the trade holders hands 
Uh, yeah. And and so that was maintained a little bit. Yeah. Tr- trade, we can go over it super, super fast. Basically, in, in, in TI3, you just had two trade agreements. Um, and funnily enough, most of those trade agreements had a total value of what is now your commodity value. So you might have like a two and another two, and that faction is now a four commodity faction. Uh, the only case where that's different is for some reason the Winu got nerfed down to three from four. They had a three and a one, and now they just have three commodities. So for some reason we decided the Winu didn't get to be, have a, a little bit as much money. But uh, you would, the trade when trade popped is when you could swap trade agreements. That's that's basically all that happened. And then and then when you had trade agreements, you could make money. Um, so that's the second fix for TI3. The final fix was a complete new slate of public objectives. Uh, you were to do away with the old ones and use these new ones, and they were uh, designed to be a bit more confrontational. There were more like combat-style objectives within it, so it, it forced a little bit more blood uh, on the board and a more reason to just interact with each other rather than like sit in your slice and, and make sure you can spend eight resources or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it uh, it definitely improved the game. I would say in every possible way. Although I wouldn't say that I loved all of the alt, like the uh, optional rules sure. uh, that it introduced. Um, I like artifacts, though. I miss artifacts. Yeah, yeah. Artifacts I want to talk. We, cool. we will get into a lot of the optional stuff. I want to like go through kind of all of it uh, because. I have two categories of optional stuff. The ones that are, why is that even an optional rule? Like you might, that's basically just why not include it in every single thing. And then the, the like actually optional stuff basically. Cause there's, there's a lot of things where it's like that became the standard for, I feel like everybody. And then there's some things where you always debated with your friends, like how to start the game. So uh, yeah. we will definitely cover all that stuff. The other thing to note though, is uh, this expansion introduced four new factions. The first time we had new factions in eight years since, yeah. uh, since the the last expansion of first edition there hadn't been new factions there were no new ones in base game and so suddenly Corey Kaneska gets his hands on the balls and is like I got a lot of ideas here's a ton of new factions yeah and this is this is where we see the first appearance of the Winu the clan of Sar the embers of Muat and the Yin Brotherhood yep. the Yin Brohood that you also get two sets of plastic uh, for there to be an eight player right. version of this game for the first time um, or I believe the first time I think was there ever eight in TI one? Well, because TI one you could it finally had enough factions, but I do not think eight players was a. It may have been. I mean, you could. The, the thing with first edition is by the end of it, you could have five rings, which is uh, yeah, stupidly monstrous. Uh, that's but kind I don't of know too if, much, if yeah. you ask me. <laughs> um, also, one thing I'm noticing that's interesting is that the two extra colors introduced in this yes. expansion were orange. And then white. Uh oh, boring. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> boring. Dane shows we a have much pink more interesting now, pink. which is a lot better yeah. than uh, orange and white. Boring. I'm yeah. sleepy. I'm getting <laughs> sleepy. Uh, Shadow and Empire also introduced the first time we had uh, faction technologies. They called them race specific technologies. Every single faction got one of these in Shattered Empire. So just like a little bit of added flavor. They, they operated a little bit differently. The whole tech system was different. From TI1 th- all the way through TI3, it was like this really gross tech tree. And fourth yeah. edition is the one that like refined how tech works uh, in a much more simple to understand way. But in the old days, you had to refer to the back of the rule book for the tech tree to know what you could tech at any given time, basically. Yeah, also custodian tokens uh, are introduced in this expansion, which the custodians was different than it is now. Uh, The custodians were just like three fighters and like two infantry that were just neutral that you would have to kill. Right. As if that's even like an issue. Right. Well, the big thing too, I think it makes sense for them to introduce it in this instance too, because if you think about it, base game, 
there really was very little reason to hold Mechatol Rex. There was no mm -hmm. strategy card based around it. The one reason you did have for it was the idea that really almost every single secret objective, which were worth two points, had something to do with controlling Mechatol Rex and fulfilling a secondary goal. It was like, control Mechatol Rex and have three or more non-fighters here, or control Mechatol Rex and X amount of technology or whatever. Right. But So that right. was the only way they like pushed people towards Mechatol Rex, but there wasn't like a huge need to take it, but you could just take it with a single infantry. Uh, at this point, with bureaucracy, there's now a point given to the person who holds Mechatol, if they, or with, with Imperial 2, I should say. You get a point for holding Mechatol, so now it's like, well, just taking Mechatol should be, like, a more <laughs> impactful thing. So, yeah, adding right. the Custodians. I put the Custodians on my list of things that are actually optional, but I think it's one of those things that almost everybody played with because it just makes thematic sense to have the Custodians Oh, yeah, also, it's game. just, like, two tokens. That's right. it. Right. Um it's funny, so one thing I'm noticing that I had never noticed before, there's a, it, as far as wormhole tokens go, there's an alpha, a beta, and then a C? Yeah, <laughs> just you what see, is this? And, and the ghosts later would just be a D. It wasn't a, it wasn't a delta or anything. They, it's like they committed to alpha, beta, and then what gave up. What does the C go to? There what was, is that? The, the, there was, uh, I, actually, I will, uh, here in a bit, I'll describe, there was only one particular purpose for the C. Mostly, like, you could just, like, make your own goofy maps and toss two C tokens onto it. Like, you could just make a third sort of style of uh, wormhole. But the Cs also had a very specific purpose uh, with, there was, a, there was a map. I'll just describe it now. Uh, after Shattered Empire, a another uh, document was released online called Map Presets, and I want to talk more about it later, but I will say the C tokens were intended with that in mind, which was, uh, oh, this right. was the introduction of a hyperlane. Uh, hyperlanes that we got in Prophecy of Kings were not a new concept. The idea yeah. of doing a warp zone and squishing the, the slice was developed in this the, the special five player map was a variant you could use in this document and you had to use an alpha like they did it with wormholes instead of just like a thing that was like hey yeah just know that these connect that you had to like waste all of your wormhole potential on this effectively hyperlane that but before we had hyperlanes and one of those was with a c token basically Wow. Okay, that sort of works. Less visual than we do it these days, but yeah, yeah that makes sense. I right. get it. I it's, get it. It really then became the reason people made like you, you can find hype, hyperlane documents on BGG for third edition. Like people were like, let's not do this wormhole thing. Let's just use this little like the arrows. You know, we, we can just recreate it this way. Um, so, anyways, uh, the other thing to to talk about that was new. So, whatever. Shadow Empire came with like a bunch of action cards, political cards, secret cards, more map tiles. Is where we see a lot of a lot more planets get introduced. Uh, there's more tech, um, but to get into the optional stuff, we've talked about custodians, but I want to introduce the things that I categorize as uh, no point in not including, and I wonder if you will agree with me, Hunter. Here's my list. I already see it, and yeah. I, there's some I disagree with. Okay, let's. So, so well, and some of these are ones that I'm going to remind you are to me similar to sabotage runs. There's no point in not including it, but that doesn't mean anybody will use it. It's just like, it can just be there working in the background. Um, mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. it's shock troopers, which were basically infantry where when you rolled a natural 10, they became a shock trooper and, and rolled even better. But then they had to be the first ones that died in combat. And a rule I forgot, they were essentially L1Z1X assimilate. You could capture yeah. structures with shock troops. I forgot about that. Uh, next up was space mines, which is something uh, that were always you always forgot to use them. It was like an end of turn thing or whatever. Anywhere where your cruisers were could drop space mines. And then when people activated and moved ships into systems with space mines, they would have to roll to see if the space mines blew up their stuff. Very wild mechanic. Uh, 
I think could probably be crazy powerful, but also like very often forgotten <laughs> because it's just like an, this this too extra of a thing. Uh, okay, before you move on to the next one, before yeah. you move on to the next one, I don't like either of those. Yeah, bad, both of them. I don't like shock, shock troopers. troops. I don't like shock troopers because, well, first of all, I thought they were too powerful, and I don't like it whenever there is this very niche kind of rule that a lot of people are going to forget yeah. exists. Right. But then if somebody remembers it, and they now get like one of the best abilities in the game. Right. I don't I really don't dig that. Yeah. Um I think it's like too big of an improvement the fact that they can capture uh enemy uh like Structures. like that they have the L1 thing is yeah. just it's just too much. Well, and so many times people would forget about it. Um space mines was like impossible to remember yeah. how they worked. Um because again a lot of people would forget to use them and then the people that would use them it was just kind of like well that one I just feel like it's questionable whether space mines are even worth it at all. Yeah. They do cost two resources. Um, I don't know. I don't really care for yeah. him. I think you could build a a, a homebrew faction that, that had that. like a riff on space mines, and yeah. that would be cool. That would show be cool. me that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other thing uh, with shock troopers that I'm just remembering the idea that it could capture structures is wild because if you remember, well, first off, they weren't called structures at the time, but that doesn't matter. Space docks were incredibly annoying in third edition. Yeah. Because the thing with space docks is you could not build them on a new planet you just acquired. And then the next round you would build them, but you could not build out of a space dock that you just placed. So it was a three right. round window before you could use a new to have a new space dock and use it. And shock troops would like expedite that by a whole round, right? Because you just capture their space dock and then next round you can use it because you didn't acquire it that round or whatever. So that is actually yeah. like a ridiculous tempo increase on your ability yeah. to do stuff. Completely insane. And what what sucks about not including it, I will say this, uh hopes end yeah. Uh, was introduced in this expansion as a planet. Um, it had a refresh ability that it will allow, would allow you to gain two shock troopers. Although, if you're not playing with that um, rule, then it would just give you two ground forces, which is also fine. Yeah. Uh, you know, Primor does that, and we love Primor. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, I and I, I, I just feel like people are going to push back on me not liking shock troopers, but uh, th they were ridiculous, and everyone would always forget. I don't like anything where it's like, oh, if you roll a this. Yeah. And you need to remember and replace kind yeah. of thing. Like, yeah. it's just one more thing to to, to have on the brain. Well, it was a messy thing, know? too, sometimes, because you would roll it, and then your opponent would roll hits, and you would gain a shock trooper, but then immediately kill that shock trooper. So it's like, yeah, half the time, you rule, didn't even get them. <laughs> I do remember that, yeah, because you have to kill them first or whatever. Yeah. Um, although, well, no, I think, I think, uh, well... It becomes a shock troop at the end of the combat round after casualties are removed. Uh, so you would okay. get, so you get it one round, but then they would die that you, next combat round is the thing I'm remembering. Right. But what's messed up about them is if they hung around, if they made it through yeah. the combat round, now you have this then horrible they were first round advantage. Yeah. Yeah. And it would just be like, you know, like somebody would have some like goofy two on one on some planet and they'd get a shock troop out of it. And now it's like, oh my God, now I have to worry about that shock troop over there, like capturing yeah. my structures. Like yeah. that's just insane. Right. Uh, next up on my no point in not including is one that we never included actually, but I'm putting it on this list anyways, which is facilities, which are kind of basically, uh, attachments of yeah, they old. Are. Yeah. They're, they're basically, they, you can add plus one to either resources or influence on planets you control. I literally never, we never used this. I do not recall a single time I played with this mechanic ever. Yeah, no, I didn't, I, I didn't use it. Uh, I don't mind it though, but yeah, I've heard people say they like it. 
it doesn't require a lot of memory right. stuff. Like I, I, it's a card. I place it under the planet, and then you get it. You right. know what I mean? Right. It's funny in the rule book. It has this like um, really goof. It'll be like, oh look, here's a colony. It gives plus one influence, and then they put it on like a three resource planet. Yeah. In their example, and I'm like, God, nobody <laughs> knows how to play that? this game yet. <laughs> nobody even knows how to play this game, even in the rule book. They didn't know how to play it yet. And now it's an esport. You yeah. know. Now, now we're esports. Uh, next up is tactical retreats uh basically retreats used to be really annoying and uh har hard to pull off you basically had to already have command tokens anywhere to be able to do a retreat and tactical retreats were a way to if you wanted to retreat but you didn't have the tokens to retreat into you could spend from your strategy allocation it was kind of like foresight except for you didn't do it at the start of the thing but like you could spend a strategy token to place yeah, the token bad so it was yeah. bad foresight and that so that's another one where it's like no point in not including that you might you might almost never use it but you might as well have access to it i don't know why we would disallow that yeah and if there's people hearing that being like oh wow spending from the strategy just to retreat that sounds awful yeah um it the command token economy was, was completely it? different in yeah. ti3 like yeah. don't evaluate it from that you'd have to play it yourself to even find out if yeah. that was like you, you, you had spares not. Uh, and then the other things that were technically labeled as optional rules were those objectives we talked about, which was like, hey, fix the game. Yeah, you should do that. The strategy cards. And then technically the, the faction tech was an optional rule, but I don't know why you wouldn't have that as an option. More, more faction parody oh, is yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, of course. And some of those faction techs were uh, like, I mean, you can imagine most of them were faction tech that you are now used to yeah. um, as like a thing that exists. Right. Uh, so, yeah, uh, there's no point in yeah. leaving those out. The uh, the actually optional stuff that I list is the first one on here is my favorite thing in all of TI3 that has not been reintroduced into fourth edition. But yeah. it's the thing I think we played with almost every single game. So f for us personally, we included it always. But it, it, I could see groups that maybe would not like it, which was Hunter. You brought it up earlier. Artifacts. Artifacts rule, man. And we we need them back. We need artifacts back. Well, in, so in they're some sort way. of. I don't want to say this. They are sort of, in sort the of game. there. Yeah. It's like shard is basically an artifact yes. that exists in the home system of the person who has that point. But it used to be they were just out there on planets yep. and they were worth victory points if you controlled them. Right. And that's just fun. Yeah. The, you know, the idea is there are eight total artifacts. There are four blanks and there are four that are going to be worth victory points if you control the planet. And at the start of the game, each player will place one. So you won't even get all eight onto the board, unless you're playing with eight players, obviously. But like a six-player game, you shuffle them, you deal them out, and everybody face down puts one on the board. And they have no idea if it's worth a point or not. But you have the opportunity to get up to four points on random planets on the board. And everybody was choosing what those planets would be. Uh, there were like special rules of like where those planets could technically go. Um, they, 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 you can't choose Mechatol Rex or a home system or any system adjacent to a home system. So it was like the equidistance and stuff like that would get these artifacts. Uh, and then when you take control of those planets you flip the token and see if that planet's worth a victory point and it made yeah. especially for the late game once everybody has explored all of space now we have these hot potato points that make like the final round incredibly dynamic i mean imagine if yeah. there were like three shards of the throne on the map in the final round it's it's really really cool and i i miss it uh because it just made i i felt like that was a very distinct flavor to rti experience yeah and it's also like i don't know just anything that encourages more conflict is, I think, just more yes. exciting. More interesting. You know, and it's like, it, it, it it's the kind of thing where it doesn't really matter who gets the artifact early, yep. right? An artifact is kind of 
almost always going to be a 10th point. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's going to be very important at the end of the game. In the early game, someone's going to get an artifact just kind of for free, just because yep. they happen to flip it over and it's like, oh, that's just where it is. But now the rest of the game, we're just going to be thinking about that yeah. artifact, you know? <laughs> Pretty cool. The, uh, the other thing, I didn't even write this in the, in the outline, but uh, the wormhole nexus was introduced in this and the wormhole nexus was an optional rule. I think that's ridiculous. Uh, nobody, I can't imagine somebody didn't play with the wormhole nexus. Uh, so that's, I can, when we get to the when next, we get to the next expansion, I can see it, but for now yeah. there's no reason. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there were some really wonky ghost rules that yeah. we'll get to as to why to leave out the wormhole nexus. Uh, yeah. The other thing you got was uh, some more distance sun counters, but specifically they introduced this idea of territorial distance suns, which is the idea. So distance suns uh, was bad uh, and mo and a lot of people hated it. Actually, the, the reality of exploration has always been that it's the most controversial uh, mechanic in TI. Uh, yeah, there are now. Now it rules. Well, now it rules, but even now people don't like that it like can be so swingy or whatever, which I don't know that it's that. I, I would that disagree swingy. that it's that swingy. What? I know. But regardless, in TI3, it was swingy because you could explore a planet and then have all of your ships blow up. Uh, stuff like yeah. that could happen. You could have uh -huh. horrible disasters happen to you or you could be given four trade goods. Like, it was a wildly swingy thing and they basically made a thing where you actually made different piles of distance suns tokens and the worst things that can happen to you would not be placed adjacent to home system so yeah, your round one expansion could be generally fairly safe but then if you're like expanding into equidistance or adjacent to mechatol that's when you have to be really careful uh, also at that time distance suns was like this whole sort of mini game happening where you you could choose to not invade a planet but instead scan that planet and double check what the token was. It, it was just very strange and hugely thematic which is why a lot of the people that like it really love it uh, but then most people, the esports people, didn't like it because it, I mean, it completely changed the flow of the game, and you would just be randomly handed, you know, a significant advantage, and somebody else would be randomly handed a complete disaster to their entire early game. Yeah, it's it. I don't know. It it was just a bit much. Um, you know, there's like a lot of things that that kill your ground forces, yeah. and it's just kind of like at this time, it, it made it feel like exploring, getting through the early game just took longer mm -hmm. it just took more time the That's early game was a little more like i don't know it feels like people didn't really get set up until like round three or round four yeah. of the game which yeah. is not great right. i don't love that right. you know we want people to be in their slices ready to roll you know round two yeah round two's which late even is hilarious so here, here's what's happening to this game TI 1 and 2 were really long games. And then CTP was like, I want to shorten it. So here's this Imperial that gives two points per round. That's going to make the game go fast. And everybody hated it. <laughs> so it's like, okay, right. uh, 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 let me go back to the rule. I'll, I'll come up with something different. But like in introducing new Imperial cards, it kind of re-slowed the game down. And like Distant Suns was slowing the game down. So another optional rule in Shattered Empire is this whole concept of simulated early turns. I think yeah. we only maybe did this like once or twice. It's a cool idea, but it just makes you feel like you're robbing yourself of some sort of choice. I don't know that we, we almost never used it, but it never felt like there was anybody who was like really didn't want to do it. It's just, Oh, everybody was kind of like, eh, I don't, I don't know how I feel about it. But the, the idea was basically just that like, instead of playing maybe like round one or even round one and two, you sort of just like set up a new board state was like with everybody kind of expanded into like their slice more or less. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's it it's it's really interesting because it's what what you do is you sort of activate systems in your slice mm -hmm. and you uh, kind of claim those planets, although you don't really claim them. You basically get uh, 
you get a set amount, I believe. Yeah. Um, you or maybe or maybe you do get them. I don't know quite how it works. It's like you activate, you get the planets, and then you build units. And this is like before you put any plastic right. on anything. Right. And then you just sort of place your starting units and some plastic that you built to add to your starting units right. in any of the systems that you've activated. And you get like two. It's yeah. like you get two systems for free. And then you have all this plastic and you can just kind of put it down everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and then I think at the end you get to remove your command counters, and which is ridiculous. Uh, and then you just like kind of move, the move forward round. into yeah. the regular game. It's it's yeah. very it's very weird, and and honestly, I think the end result of it too was that it actually didn't feel like it sped. Like it was such a weird like I'm just in looking at it, it's like many many paragraphs to describe this process, and it's like if you got really good at the game, you could just burn through round one. Like it was not that hard to just sort of burn through round one, especially if you weren't playing with distant suns and like worried about that, which we very rare past a certain point we like very rarely played with distant suns. So you could just make round one happen and play just as fast as what simulated early turns was going to do for you, arguably. Right. Right. Yeah, and it's like you I don't know. It's it, it's it's really weird cuz it's like everybody Oh, here's what it is. Sorry, I was looking for this. Um so the the weirdest step to me is step 2 of simulated early turns is build units and buy technology. Starting with the speaker and proceeding clockwise, each player receives resources equal to the total resources of their home system plus 3. Right. So even though you may have taken planets that are worth more than that, that's not even what we're going yeah. off of. Uh, and then you can buy system. like one you can buy like one tech with that and then more units and then I don't know. Think start. about this I, with like with like Barony versus like Xcha, right? Xcha oh, has three bucks at home yeah. and then you get a total of six and maybe you're gonna buy a tech with that, uh, versus uh <laughs> six plus like the nine resources of Barony. Pretty it's just yeah. kinda I don't know, it doesn't doesn't make any it's sense. A little wonky. A little yeah. wonky. Uh the last optional thing was one that we i don't know that we ever played with it because it just seemed too weird which was called the voice of the council and the voice of the council was a little card where when the agenda phase was going to happen when someone popped politics you could all vote on someone who gets a victory point like it's just like this victory point that is voted on and passed around every time you pop politics uh but the, the player who pops politics gets to choose whether or not you vote on the voice of the council uh so just like more victory points out there with artifacts voice of the council all this stuff was just like flooding the game with more and more victory points which i think is really good but i don't know that this style of gaining a victory point was something we ever really enjoyed that much although I, we should have tried it more it probably wouldn't have been that bad yeah, I think, uh, I, I I don't know. I think it's interesting, uh, the idea of just being able to call out this point, but I just feel like in a super competitive yeah. uh, mindset, this is never going to be used right. in an interesting way. It does give the speaker a little more power, which yeah. lately I have become interested in. Yeah. Anything we can introduce into the game to make it so that selling the speaker token is an enormous risk. Yeah. A crazy, scary risk where it's like, <laughs> well, I don't know if I want to give yeah. the speaker that much power. Right. This might be an interesting way to do that because the speaker is the one who decides, essentially. Yeah. Any like, ties and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, decides, but could also just decide to call. Call for or the is vote. This in, yeah. Uh, it can call for a uh, vote for the voice of the council. Right. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Could work. It's interesting, nonetheless. Uh, so that's that's everything that was introduced in Shadow Empire. I, I, I will return to this thing of they also re re released online this idea of map presets. I think people were starting to build more and more preset maps at this time. And I loved and still love this document. This is maybe my, like, 
favorite thing that uh like artifacts and this map document were my two favorite things and what made me like love ti basically it is a way to build a preset map without actually specifically presetting the map which i feel like the idea of like a preset map in ti3 wasn't as big of a deal in ti4 there's so many things that we have like significantly more hard coded in like how you know the, the pace at which you take systems and stuff like that whereas ti3 mm -hmm. movement was like off the hook like it was crazy how much you could move in ti3 uh so where stuff was was not nearly as big of a deal because like you could get t into the slice on the other side of your neighbor quite easily in ti3 right. you ended up all over the board um but uh, the I, the the big thing in here, and it's stuff I've tried to recreate in map building myself, is the idea that you would separate the piles into single planet systems and multi planet systems, and then even in some cases resource heavy multi planet systems, and you would build the map with those things like face down, and then reveal them to that like so there was still some randomness in like where the planets ended up, but there was at least a decent pace of like well everyone has a single planet and a double planet system right next to them. And, right. and stuff like that. And I just liked the design of a lot of these maps. And it sped up the game. Obviously, we didn't have to do all the map building stuff. This was very often I was hosting the TI games. And I would just have this already set up when everybody came over. And it was a, it was a really fun way to play. I, I always liked it. And I still kind of use the philosophies. And like we said earlier, this was also the introduction of hyperlanes. And uh, you could do multi-galaxy maps. That They had mm -hmm. two different map builds for uh, basically in a six-player game. A, a mini ring of three players, another mini ring of three players, and then wormholes that connected those two rings into a tiny ring where Mechatol Rex was, which is, I don't know, I think that's a freaking awesome idea that you've seen some people do and I would love to do again. Yeah, you could definitely tell that uh, they were more interested in these weird maps than I think we have been since DI4 has come yeah. out. Um, and in fact, they were really common. I remember, Matt, you telling me when you played in the Gen Con tournament, like this is before Blarknob yeah. uh, was running it, uh, that the uh, finals map was really goofy yeah. and very, very strange. Very just broken. Um, yeah. I think all of this too, I, I want to like drive a point home here about how uh, cool Corey Kaneska is. And yeah. CTP built a great foundation for all this stuff, but like there's little flaws here and there, but more importantly, more people getting their hand on the ball has consistently made this game better. Corey Kaneska has said in an interview with us and in other interviews elsewhere, like, he was a huge fan of TI3, and then he got to get hired by FFG, designed his own TI expansion, and basically everything he introduced in this expansion made the game better. Yeah. And that continues through into Dane's career now. Like, I just, I love how much better the game keeps getting as new people get to try out stuff when they're huge fans of the game and, and understand, like, what's at the heart of this game, but then take that and put their own twist on it. It just keeps getting better, and I think that is defined with Shattered Empire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is it time for us to move forward yeah. into Shards of the Throne? Yeah. Shards of the Throne is a much different expansion because, again, Shadow Empire was like here to fix a lot of the problems of, of base game, right? Like we're, we're patching a lot of the game. And then there's a bunch yeah. of extra stuff thrown in. Shards of the Throne came five years later, 2011. I wonder how much at this time people were like, TI is done. Like, we're not getting anything else. They were still doing reprints of 3rd Edition. It's not like it was going mm -hmm. out of stock or anything. But I just wonder how surprising it was to have Shards of the Throne announced five years after the the most previous expansion. That, that seems wild to me. Yeah. Can one of the olds kind of reach out and yeah. let us know, like, what that was like, the gap between... Because, like, we did not experience it. Right. We basically get on board with Twilight Imperium 
right after this puppy yeah. comes out. I think it was or 2013. What, I think it was 2013 yeah. when we first started playing. So short, shortly after Shards of the Throne was introduced in 2011. Uh, but the big thing with Shards is it's really just a bunch of flavor. It's mostly flavorful, like more. Again, everything is uh, introduced as being optional, but I kind of question how much is optional. There's three more factions. This is where you see the Necro, the Arborek, and the Ghosts. Hunter, yeah. you alluded to the ghost problem. Will you describe the ghost malice uh -huh. problem? Yeah, so, oh, I don't have one of their faction sheets up in front of me, so I'm going to get the wording wrong. That's fine. But essentially, essentially, the ghosts had an ability that made it so that you couldn't travel through a wormhole, like, at the ghost. Yeah, into their okay. space. Yeah. Yeah, so you can't, if, if the ghosts are on the other side of a wormhole, you can't go through that. Right. Okay. Kind of cool, I guess. Uh, maybe, may not actually inherently broken. Except that doesn't for include their home system. I should say, if if anybody's gonna yeah. get like weirdly confused, it's right, alphas right, right. and betas. It's alphas and betas, um, or or just non D. I don't know. Sure. Let's not let's not be too specific on the wording. But yeah. the whole point is, this is really not much of a factor except for the wormhole nexus. So basically, the way the wormhole nexus worked once Ghost was introduced was, if the ghosts go to the wormhole nexus. It is theirs yep. forever, and yep. you may never, ever even attempt to take it. Right. Which is just silly. Yeah. Really I don't wild. know. Yeah. It, I think of it, think like the, the ghosts cannot be eliminated once they get to right. Malice. Right. There's the impossible, impossible to, to eliminate them. them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's and, yeah? What's nice ridiculous. about it, which I don't, I can't imagine they planned for, considering the gap of time between the wormhole nexus being introduced and the ghost being introduced. But it, it was at least useful the idea that Malice is a zero three planet. So your space docks, which in TI three the production capacity thing was still the same, like a plus two on production capacity. So imagine if Malice was like a four zero planet or like a three zero mm -hmm. planet, and so then ghosts could have a five production value center that you can never activate like that would be absolutely disgusting at least yep. the place where ghosts can get to and never be targeted can only build two ships <laughs> per activation or whatever uh, yeah so yeah. there was that saving grace but it still was just like yeah if you play with ghosts they get to have the wormhole nexus and that's it which is why earlier hunter said maybe when ghosts are in the game you just don't actually play with the wormhole nexus because it's just sort of busted and weird it's just it, yeah, it just never felt very good for it to be like, oh, ghost got there. Okay, yeah. well, that's yeah. over then. No, no even thinking about it. Honestly, I just didn't like that rule aspect of ghosts. I think ghosts require a counterbalance of, yes, they can go anywhere. Yes, they're super fast, but they're also flimsy. Mm -hmm. And this kind of made it so that they could just be like, nanny, nanny, boo-boo, you can't come at me. <laughs> right. You just can't. Right. And that's kind of boring, I think. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Shards also just introduced more tech cards, more action cards, more agendas, more planets. Uh, also, every faction got one more faction tech. So this is where we're finally yeah. at the two faction tech that became mm -hmm. standard in fourth edition. Uh, worth noting, too, there was an entire scenario in Shards of the Throne. It was really kind of the main uh, thing. I mean, we never played it, which I, is like actually kind of a regret of mine because it sounds pretty cool. Uh, but yeah. like the first codex had that Ordinian scenario. Well, Fall of the Empire was like the first official scenario and it came with a bunch there was a bunch of com components that were specifically for this scenario and uh it was the fall of the empire which uh one of the players was the lazax empire not the l1z1x the lazax right. at the time yeah. of their fall yeah so this is like set before basically everything that's happened in yeah the twilight imperium proper um i want to go ahead and throw this out here matt um and of course feel free to shoot this down you know you're the boss but 
what about a Fall of the Empire episode and accompanying stream where we play it and we talk about this and this could be part of our history of Twilight Imperium series. What do you think? I definitely want to do it. The other thing I want to do though is I know some people have ported Fall of the Empire into 4th edition. So I would even just love to play it. Because the big thing recently with the idea of doing like a Fall of the Empire stream is like, well, dang it, I do have to also relearn all of 3rd edition. And there's a lot of specific nuances to relearn in doing that. (laughs) But if we play 3rd edition in honor of this episode, we're going to be ready for Fall of the Empire. And by ready, I mean, we're not going to be ready. No. Yeah. But I I do want to do it though. I'd really like to do I I actually, when I boxed up all of my TI3 stuff and sort of put it away into the closet because I, I transferred all of my TI3 stuff from my storage solution out and put TI4 into that storage solution. I separated everything for Fall of the Empire into its own box. So technically, I set it up in such a way where I know for sure I can just unbox Fall of the Empire because I was basically like, that's the only reason I would probably come back to TI3 is to specifically play Fall of the Empire. So I have that like locked and loaded and ready to go whenever we decide to do that. Well, Um, hell yeah, let's do it. This is also kind of a precursor to um, uh, Rex, which is the Fantasy Flight implementation of Dune. Um, Mm -hmm. You can see a lot of echo, a lot of stuff that was being tested in Fall of the Empire gets introduced into Rex. I wonder the timing exactly of these two things, but I I feel like they built Rex. Obviously, it was mostly based on the Dune board game, but Fall of the Empire, it feels like some of the things found its way into Rex as well. Uh, I think the I think the idea of like betrayal cards uh, are sort of present in Fall of the Empire, and that's like a major mechanic in Rex. Little little stuff like that is uh, pretty cool. Yeah, it's definitely kind of a precursor to Rex. You're basically playing through what Rex is about yes. but in Twilight Imperium, right. whereas Rex takes place entirely uh, on Mechatol Rex. Right. Uh, a la Dune. Yeah. Um, there's also variant. There's There are some extra strategy cards included in this. There's a trade three yeah. including included in uh, Shard of the Empire, which uh, brings in mercenaries, right. which were fairly ridiculous and not played with a lot, but I liked them. Right. Um, all of the all of the strategy cards actually intru- introduced in Shards of the Throne were more necessities of some of the mechanics they introduced. Yes. So as we describe some of the mechanics, like trade three just does mercs, political two or assembly two is if you decide to play with the political intrigue thing. And then there's a civilization and an industry strategy card that are just used for the fall of the empire. So there's no just like totally new rebalancing strategy cards, but there's like, hey, if you're going to use, I-, I feel like the optional rules in Shards are the ones that truly feel like optional rules and were the ones we would like properly debate whether or not we wanted to include. Uh, yeah, because in they're not little things. They're, mm-hmm. they, are, they are not holistic exactly, but they kind of come in giant chunks. Yes. Except for a few, like flagships, uh, race, the, the new faction technologies, yep. uh, mechanized units. Actually, mechanized units you basically have to play with because I believe the Necros start with a mechanized right. unit. Yeah, if you're so playing you with the Necros, you have, have to play with mechs. That's, that's true. Yeah, I think I think the race text, the flash text, and the mechs are the no point in not including. They're just like new units. There's also um, one that is arguably no point in not including is they added what's called preliminary objectives. Oh, which yeah. I mm-hmm. like the idea of preliminary objectives, but I think what you see is preliminary objectives are what... TI4's secret objectives were sort of born out of. So again, I'll remind you, base game secret objectives were two-point objectives where you, in almost all cases, there were like two that were not this. You had to control Mechatol Rex and fulfill some other thing, some other quality. Um, Really hard. Incredibly hard, actually. Most people would not fulfill their secret objective in a game. 
yeah, preliminaries because in in base game you're getting two points just for having imperial so <laughs> right <bleh. laughs> uh but uh, preliminary objectives were worth one point and were much simpler if anything a lot of the preliminary objectives are very similar to secret objectives in ti4 just these like little little things that you can do and the idea in this expansion was at the beginning beginning of the game you were dealt a preliminary objective and you did not get access into to your secret objective until you finish your preliminary objective which that has its own problem because then some of the preliminary objectives were actually quite difficult especially like for certain slices or certain factions so you were technically locked out of three potential points if you couldn't finish your preliminary objective because then you also yeah. would never get your secret objective so that was like a huge annoying problem but the idea of like making these smaller objectives was a good idea and eventually why we got one point secret objectives that i think is like the the best that system has been so far yeah uh it definitely like i feel like in ti3 the thing that isn't working all the time is the idea that we're all playing to 10 points yeah like the <laughs> tempo of that feels very like untested and misunderstood yeah. games in ti3 would end very like oh i guess this is over kind right. of way right whereas in ti4 it feels close to a race that I can understand mm -hmm. as far as like where we are at with it, when the key moments are, when we uh, possibly have a chance to make a break for it. Right. Um, whereas I feel like there was a lot of mystery with TI3 of me yeah. just not really knowing where we were at most of the time. And also, you know, we played the game a lot, but it was also, I think we were less sophisticated in our understanding of a board right. game like this. For sure. So we were also just bad at it, yeah. you know, as a, compared to now where we are, uh, you know, I mean, we don't play anymore, but we do sure. think a lot. Right. Now we are God Kings that have transcended beyond the act of playing the game. So it's, yes, it's just yes, a yes, whole yes, different yes. thing. Uh, I do not need to play. <laughs> the, the next one is a, a great one. Final Frontier was a mechanic that, hey, that sounds familiar, huh? Frontier, Frontier Tokens. Frontier Tokens were born out of this idea of Distant Suns were little tokens you put on planets, and when you took control of that planet, you flipped the token, and that's your exploration. Final Frontier was that in spaces without planets, just like the way our Frontier Tokens work now. You didn't have to have a technology to do Frontier Tokens, uh, but by the time we by the time we got like really, really comfortable with TI3, we never played with Distant Suns anymore, but we always played with Final Frontier because... Empty spaces, especially in TI3, uh, like, I mean, think about base game. There was very little reason to activate an empty space in base game. But now with PRK, right. we have all these objectives that sort of, like, make you get into, like, empty spaces or, and, and things like that. Well, in TI3, Final Frontier was your reason to just sort of, like, arbitrarily activate an empty space. Because there, there were little goodies. I don't even, I think there was maybe only, like, two Final Frontier tokens that were bad in any way. That, that might yeah. be slightly off. But, like, they really weren't that big of a deal i mean no no they weren't they weren't like distant suns where they were like a lot of them were really upsetting they were kind of just there yeah. and like yeah some of them were okay some of them were nothing and then yeah some of them were bad though yeah I, yeah there was a gravity sure. rift which like that's not necessarily a bad thing and sometimes gravity rifts the way gravity drive worked was if you were adjacent to a gravity rift or a wormhole you had bonus movement that's why you had so much freaking movement in in yeah uh, that was crazy. a shattered empire tech that was introduced too but regardless uh, sometimes it was awesome to discover a gravity rift like near your slice because now all of your units get like all this bonus movement uh, but you could also discover a supernova uh, that's a bit of a bummer uh, and there was another one called space pirates that could sometimes be a bummer you basically had to fight a dreadnought uh and i don't know that that or is that even how it worked or was that how people like did weird i don't know you would lose trade goods space pirates was weird everything else was just like neutral effects anyways i really liked final frontiers we played with it i think every single time 
Yeah, it, there just wasn't a lot of reason to leave it out. Yeah. Um, we've already talked about mechanized units and flagships. Uh, it's important to note mechanized units uh, did not have any special ability like yeah. they do now. They just were um, just really, really good ground forces. Yeah, flagships did. So flagships operated pretty much the way they operate now. Yeah. Um, with Most some, of them know. were exactly what they are now, in fact. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. the biggest note is Yin and Necro uh, flipped in TEI 4th edition. Yin used to right. have the, the, uh, the, my ground forces are fighters, and Necro used to have the nuke, which I don't know. I don't know which is better. I, I, I think when 4th when edition released, we were like, oh, wait, that's an awesome change. I don't know how I feel about it these days. Maybe it's still a, a good idea. Um. So then, yeah, the last two optional rules are, I think, de facto, the two biggest deal optional rules. Uh, one of them is mercenaries, which we sort of alluded to. You had to play with trade three if you played with mercenaries. And mm -hmm. I never wrapped my head around mercenaries. It's, you, Hunter, you, I think, maybe at times liked mercenaries more. And then, yeah. like, in playing it more, realized how broken of a system it was and, like, eventually got away from it. But I, I just never even wrapped my head around mercenaries. Yeah, mercenaries were like special, um, they were tokens, but they also represented like a ship. Mm -hmm. um, they could fight in the air or on the ground, which was kind of sloppy. Mm -hmm. um, and they all had special abilities, sort of like a, like a mercenary or, or like a uh, mechanized unit or a flagship. Yeah. They were all akin to that. Um, and they also were just like, I don't know, they were, they all had different abilities and anybody could get one. Yeah. Um, I didn't, I don't necessarily love that aspect of them. Um, I think the, uh like there was this system and then there was like the leader system yeah um which we also did not really play with much at all and i don't even remember which uh i think we skipped over talking about the leaders it was in all. base game and we didn't yeah we didn't d describe yeah. it in depth it was basically you didn't have leaders like you do now where they were like sp i mean they they did have names but they just were different classifications there were five types of leaders and right. those you th those leaders on specific planets or in specific space would kind of grant little benefits. Very hard to remember. Basically, was the reason we right. didn't really like them. It would just be like, oh, a plus one to combat with dreadnoughts or something like that. And it's like I'm not gonna remember that the admiral does that or whatever. And some of them were right. just broken. Like agents were a free sabotage whenever you wanted. Yeah, I think that um, overall, this is one way that uh, POK has completely improved on this type of system. Yeah, um, mercenaries were essentially units that also had leader-like abilities um, that you would purchase during the playing of the trade three strategy card and you would have to keep paying for them um, and uh, I don't know they were kind of cool um, I think that what was kind of messed up about it is if I remember correctly there were just kind of a couple that were considered the best ones yeah. um, and so you kind of always went after the same ones every time which kind of made it not feel like there was a lot of variance to it yeah um, so yeah, I don't know. They could, uh, they had an ability called evasion, which is not something that we have, I, I, that I feel like does not exist in TI4 at all in any way. Um, and so like they have like an evasion value. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read this to you. So mercenaries have a new ability called evasion. The, the ability is followed by a number, uh, known as their evasion value. When a player assigns a hit to a mercenary, he rolls one die on a roll of X or higher. The mercenary is not destroyed by the hit. And if the roll is less than that number, the mercenary is destroyed. Mm -hmm. Player may only assign one hit to a mercenary per combat. So, so it's like you assign the hit to the mercenary, and then you roll another die to decide whether it hits. the hit actually lands or not. Yeah, kind of dumb. Kind of dumb. Um, uh, one of those dumb. things where maybe you could do that as a like like we said earlier with one of the other mechanics. Like maybe if that was a faction specific thing, could be kind of cool but yeah it's like more rolling that we're already rolling way too many dice in space combats and now you're gonna oh, yeah. add extra secondary rolls to it 
Yeah, it's just funny, though, that this is like an ability that has been left behind. It's, yeah. it's interesting how much Dane actually has kind of gone through these expansions yep. and sort of rewired, retooled, refocused, yep. and then put them back into the game, uh, either in base game or in POK. Um, a lot of it has been, it's made me realize, like, just to give Dane some credit here, it's all been very elegantly yep. done. Um, and the things that are left, the things that have been left behind, I think is stuff like, just like goofy yeah. stuff like that. I, I, I remember feeling this at the time too, which was that fourth edition felt like all of the optional rules we always wanted to play with, with none yeah. of the optional rules we didn't want to play with. Like it just felt like yeah. Dane had his finger perfectly on the pulse of like what was the tried and true right way to play third edition. And he made sure all of that stuff was in the game and he left everything else out basically. Right, and actually, the the key example of this is our last big yeah. option to talk about is um, political intrigue. Yeah, which ha it occupies like almost two full pages in it's the rule book. Huge. It's um, hilarious too because sometimes we would play with political intrigue, but there's actually two types of components introduced in political uh -huh. intrigue. This is the introduction of promissory notes, promissory notes, and this is also the introduction of a thing called representatives. Which we have not seen added back. We've into not the seen game. added back for good reason. We have seen promissory notes, which is funny though because I don't. We never use promissory notes. I don't remember ever using no. promissory notes in TI three. We just played with representatives. The promissory notes just like felt too complicated, even though technically you're supposed to use both when you play yeah, with political intrigue. Uh, but representatives were you got three little cards with. Uh, characters from your faction they had art yeah. and they had names and they were of and abilities and ability they were of varying styles of uh character there were spies and bodyguards and counselors and these all were relevant during the agenda phase and it was this d here's the the big thing about it is it made the agenda phase two to three times longer in a game oh, that yeah. was already routinely oh. too long mm-hmm 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 so I don't even have to like, I, I could go into depth. It was basically like a little mini card game in the agenda phase. Basically everyone brought a counselor and then mm -hmm. like you would sort of reveal counselors and like a spy could kill a, a counselor, but a bodyguard would, would protect against the spot. Like it was this little kind of pseudo rock, paper, silly scissors little thing. rock, paper, scissors. Yeah. It, yeah. But it was just so messy and just added a bunch of time, not just time in like doing the steps of the thing, but people deciding what they wanted to do with the cards they had. Like it was just an extra analysis paralysis step that could be introduced. It just was mm -hmm. like, I think there's probably some people out there that thought this was pretty cool, but I know we bounced off of it really hard and past a certain oh, point, yeah. like, never played with it ever again. We did not like it. Um, I will say, obviously, Promissory Notes was incorporated into base game TI4, I think, very elegantly. Yes. Um, and then I think the representatives, while not, like, basically, we left this behind as a system, there are a few leaders, obviously, introduced yeah. in POK that do influence the agenda phase some of these things. so i think in that very minor very specific way we sort of incorporated the spirit of this mm -hmm. into just a few abilities which i think is way more appropriate yeah. than having to come up with a whole way that each faction now is going to behave in the agenda phase i mean that's just a level of variance that i i think frankly is not called for especially in a phase that should be about deal making yeah that should be about the plate the who's the representative 
is that player. Agreed. Not a card, right. not a component. You yeah. are the representative. It would be so annoying to just be, I mean, basically you could get necroed out of any agenda phase because someone oh, that killed part, your yeah, counselor. It's like, I just get kicked out of fun. this agenda and it's like, yeah. okay, cool. I didn't even do anything, but I just didn't play the right card or whatever. The big thing to me with both leaders and representatives is something that I think POK has really, really fixed, which was at one point, I think their attempt was to make it like some universal rules that like everybody could kind of understand. So you just had to memorize five types of eight uh, types of leaders. And then we assign three different leaders or two different leaders, whatever it was, to each faction. And that's how you get like faction thematics is like, well, this faction has a diplomat and a general versus this faction who has two agents or whatever. Mm -hmm. But in actuality, that doesn't make it feel any more thematic to me. But in POK, what we have is just like, no, 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 everybody gets an agent, everybody gets a commander, everybody gets a hero, and they all do dynamic different things. Yes, it's a little bit harder to like onboard into that because it's like, I mean, a new player sitting down to a brand new game of POK has a lot of abilities to like take in and understand. But there's a certain aspect of that where you can just sort of let go of that versus I, it, it feels harder to let go of these TI3 leader systems because like they're significantly more, I don't know, like impactful maybe if you're including them or whatever. And it's because they're optional, it's just easier to not include them. And that that's the part of fourth edition that I, I just continue to really love is that everything is holistic. Everything is designed to be played with every other thing. It, it's got the whole system in mind when you play the game. Yeah. And what's interesting is uh, like, I still feel like, there is room for more of this stuff to be elegantly folded into yeah. the game, basically. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or at least I feel that way. Um, which is why I'm excited about there being more codexes, yep. more uh, content for um, Twilight Imperium. It is, it's not over, y'all. Yeah. And we are apparently in the 25th anniversary of Twilight Imperium. Although, <laughs> I don't know that I feel that every day. <laughs> I think it's coming. I mean, we know Codex 3 is around the corner. It's supposed to be end of April, and we are now, like, kind of in the second half of April. And uh, I don't know. We got the rest of the year, too. So hopefully hopefully we somewhere. Well, I, I hope that that was a decent enough overview. It was really mostly a mechanical overview of all the things in TI3, but I hope we also sort of built this, like, stepping stone into, like, why the decisions were made in TI4 the way they were. I think to go back before TI3 will feel much more like a history thing because the games are so much less recognizable than what we have now but ti3 mm -hmm. you feel a lot of the like stepping stones into what we have now so so hopefully this was a uh, just sort of interesting for those that are interested in that kind of thing already i don't know it, it definitely makes me want to go back to play ti3 i think what's gonna hurt that is then when we decide to do it and i have to read the rule book for ti3 and get reminded of all of the weird hyper conditional rules that uh that you're just supposed to constantly have on your mind i'm very nervous for that aspect of playing ti3 again yeah yeah i i don't know i'm i feel excited about the future every time we look into the past of twilight imperium it's true yeah. um because yeah there's there's so many places left to go there's so many things left to talk about 243 episodes down <laughs> 5,458 <laughs> episodes to go, I say. I say. Man, how old does that uh, mean we live until? Uh-oh, 5,000. 5, well, or do we sorry. eventually become a daily show? Is that what you're revealing? Is that at some point we become a, every single day a new podcast episode releases? Matt, um, the, the show will go longer than our mortal lives. Uh, I hope you realize that. Yikes. Um, I, if, if people think that we're dumb... And that this is a stupid show now. Yeah, wait 30 wait years. Wait till 
<laughs> you know, Hunter 8 and Matt 7 are... You like how I... Uh, I like that you die and and more often seven. than I do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I live, I live fast, die hard. You know, we're going to be on the 8th Hunter by the time we get to the 7th Matt. And 7th Matt is going to be a little bb boo I, Yeah, I like the idea of it's like a foundation style uh, leadership uh-huh. where it's like, yeah, Hunter is like an 80-year-old man and, and Matt is 7-year-old is Matt and we're still doing the show together. Yep, yep. That is that is how it will be. So shall it be. So shall it go on. <laughs> I want to thank our weird bears: Big Al Cappuccino, Squeamish Emu, Brassbird, Brian, Kaluan, Dark Jutsu, Goondock, Ignoring My PhD, Carnal, Kindred Spirit, Alice, Bagels, Emlashevsky, Sunfax, Absol, Ricky M44, Rwise, and Fancy Zeeling. Oh, hold up, hold up, real quick. Want to stop, real quick. Just want to say something about the weird bears, real quick. Okay. Um, just here in the middle before you before you blurt out the mama's lovely larva. Mm-hmm. I just want to call out. That there have been, in the history of the show, yeah. 34 <gasps> weird bears. Whoa. Which is two less mm-hmm. than 36 weird bears. Yeah. So I'm just going to say that. Just going to put that out, out loud. There, that I just want to like a... say, real quick, I just want to say, there have been 34 weird bears. And that's two less than 36. Yep. Yeah. Just saying. Just, just if that means anything to anybody who's if interested that... in that maybe means anything to you just put it out there all right you can continue Matt. i, I want to thank mama's lovely larva my son is also named bort anvilier nerve zerg tautology is what it is frank g gazgio Rekka, lord raddington jadim jedi graxer rollo uncle batty and teddy's jam for you um galactic council poll you have three days left it is a tight tight race actually this time um i i'm I read your four options last week. There's only two options really in contention right now. Mm-hmm. And I want it to be close. Um, our two options that are like pretty, pretty the number one right now is community plays TI. We talk about what that is. Uh, we discuss the entirety of game one. Game two has already started. Yep. Um, by the way, the team I'm on, which is the Sardak team, uh, our home system mm. has already been taken. Okay. <laughs> And that's, I would say, frankly, uh, a little bit unacceptable. Um, And I just want to take a little bit of time in the show to discuss the legend of the Queen Mother, who's living in a supernova. We're currently on a valiant effort to discover the Queen Mother in the supernova, and we would appreciate any um, support in finding the Queen Mother in the supernova. Uh, You don't need to hurt me and the team specifically this way and i i don't actually even i don't really keep up with it because it's stupid but um <laughs> the whoever it is that has taken our home system i would like to encourage the other players and the other teams at community plays ti to sort of treat that team disrespectfully and not make any deals with them yeah um so this is my contribution to the sardak nor team uh, for community place ti2 i am the uh propaganda king yeah so of, for some people that it. is a a huge endorsement for why we need a community plays ti episode because whatever you just said may, might make sense to them eventually and for some I people it is absolutely why they want to vote for the introducing matt and hunter to spirit island option which is the other yeah. front runner <laughs> so so the other one that's in the in contention is we play spirit island yeah. All right, and talk about it. And I, I know want... there's a lot of people excited about that. So. Apparently, there's people that really put way too much stock in, uh, I don't know, different votes that have happened in the past. Here's here's something that happened. So people are talking about sidereal confluence still. And some people want people to stop talking about sidereal confluence. I don't care either way. But I did make a joke 
on the Patreon page that said we only bring back Sidereal Confluence as an option if Spirit Island wins. That was a joke, and I'm sorry that it reads as an actual thing that definitely happens within uh, these Patreon votes. Hunter and I, every month, we just put whatever we want to into these votes, and nothing will yeah. be based on previous things. You don't have no. to overthink it, y'all. Yeah, don't overthink it. Please do not be overthinking it. We're dumb. <laughs> don't pretend we're smart, okay? Just live your life, Yeah. all right? Um, Homebrewers Guild, we are still working on leaders for the Arborek, Barony, Soul, Mintak, Titans, and Cabal game that we will be playing yeah. soon. Custom leader suites for all of those factions. If you just have an idea for an agent, a commander, a hero, whatever, just throw in whatever you got. Um, we'll be putting it together soon. I wish I had a date for you, but sadly, I'm about to travel to Arkansas. Right. Uh, and so I'm a little bit confused on what my schedule will be like when I get back. Hopefully, actually, probably won't be true, but maybe first week of, I'm thinking first week of May yeah. is probably when it will happen. So that first weekend there is when we would do this actual homebrew guild game. Please submit leaders if you have any. Um, and yeah, thank you very much. Yep. I love, love it. Yep. You can rate our podcast on all the different apps. Give us a five-star rating. Tell us what you think about TI3. Be like, hey, this is my favorite TI3 podcast uh, and really confuse people. Ooh. Uh, you can visit our website for information about our Patreon and you can become a member of our Patreon and contribute to the show and uh, keep this whole thing alive. You can find our Twitter and our Discord and you can find our merch. There's cool shirts on there. Uh, Sun Sanders puts in really hard work and making really, really cool shirt designs and you should go show him some love. Hey, you should also uh, check out Sun Sanders on on Twitch. He's been he's been streaming a bunch recently, like doing art. Uh, for a while, he was making a new banner for the Old Gamers Almanac podcast that we do. Uh, but he's also just doing his own art, and it's really good stuff. And you should show uh, him some love because we love yeah. we love our dear friend Sun Sanders. We love Sun. Send uh, us in this Imperium Life Stories or Play of the Week stories to spacecatspeaceturtles at gmail.com. This episode has run a little long. We will be skipping Play of the Week this week, but I love you all. And uh, yeah, thank you for joining us down a trip down memory lane. Trip down memory lane. Expect more episodes like this in the future, which of course in our world means like, I don't know. Who knows? Another one in 20 episodes. The, the reality is it's like, I'm not doing a second edition episode until I've played second edition. And I, I don't know how yeah. I'm going to play second edition. So uh, that's got to just like be a thing that happens. Well, I'll tell you this. I think we need to own every edition of yep. twilight imperium and that is kind of a big ass it's become more possible and i, I shouldn't put this out there on the show because then it becomes difficult for us but the game center which used to be the ffg game center but has then mm -hmm. been rebought by christian t peterson he he owns that again he they have a shop at the game center where first off you can go buy uh codex supplements you can buy them it's they're not officially ffg printed but you can get codex one and two and we assume eventually you'll be able to get codex three uh, professionally printed for your copy of Twilight Imperium, but also in their shop, they just have like old TI stuff. It's wild. Like there's, there was like Twilight Imperium Armada, which was like the old TI minis game that maybe we'll eventually talk about. That was that they just had that. And I've never seen that anywhere. Like I've, I've never seen someone own that game. Uh, so there's all sorts of wild stuff that uh, that store had. And I know that they had a couple copies of uh the board games of I, I think maybe by this point it's already been bought up i i really don't know but uh i'm i know i'm gonna start keeping my eye on that website and uh maybe start building my historical preservation collection of twilight imperium 
Yeah, somebody's got to preserve this stuff, and I know somebody probably already has, but also we need we to should. because I we're loudest, <laughs> okay? We're the loudest ones, yeah. so we should get to. And, <laughs> you know, I'll tell you this much. If there's anybody, if there is anybody in this world that you can trust to love Twilight Imperium, but not, like, open the box or touch the components, <laughs> it's me, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Space Cat's Peace Turtles, and thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum. <laughs>